You're listening to the best of the Martha Zoller Show. You can hear the show live Monday through Friday from 9 to 11 on AM 550 and FM 102.9 WDUN and streaming at accesswdun.com. You can find all things Martha Zoller at marthazoller.com. It is the Martha Zoller Show, and joining me right now is Representative Andrew Clyde. And since we talked last week, a lot has happened as far as an extension of the continuing resolution and lots of talk about budgets, lots of talk about borders, and lots of talk about aid to other countries. So we were going to, we said, let's just go right back to him and get an explanation of what's going on. Andrew, how are you? Well, good morning, Martha. Great to be with you. Thank you. So tell us, just give us a quick update of what's happened since the last time we talked, and then what is going to happen next? Well, I think, as you know, on Thursday uh, late afternoon, uh, the House voted on another continuing resolution, basically the same thing that we voted on in November, just extended it into early March um, in a laddered kind of effect, uh, and one of the interesting things about that vote, Martha, is that you had 107 Republicans, only 107 Republicans vote for it, and 207 Democrats. That's 100 more Democrats voted for it than Republicans. And if you look at the trend, you go back to the Financial Responsibility Act, where you saw 149 Republicans voted for it, but more Democrats. Um, and then in, uh, in uh, September, uh, November, the CR for those two CRs, about 126, 127 Republicans voted for it, uh, and that now we've got 107. The trend is going down. Uh, Republicans, fortunately, more of them are coming to our side. As you know, I voted against the CR. Uh, I don't believe that that is the right way that our country should be going forward, uh, spending at the Nancy Pelosi levels with the Joe Biden uh, policy attached to it, and then literally wanting to spend more money in FY24 than we actually did in FY23. Um, that's not what Republicans came to Congress to do uh, in the majority. Uh, I don't believe the country gave us the majority so we could spend more money and continue Biden's policies. Uh, we need to absolutely reverse course on that. And we need to uh, put our policies in place, which is why we passed seven appropriation bills on the House floor, which funded at that point, 85% of the government was funded with those seven appropriation bills. With our policy in them, we needed to fight on that, all right, and on the border. The border is the number one issue across the country. It is affecting every city, every state, um, every county, in some way, whether it's through fentanyl, uh, people dying from fentanyl overdoses or being poisoned by fentanyl, not really knowing what they're taking, uh, whether it's by fentanyl or whether it's by the increase in crime uh, that's coming across the border from, from, you know, the millions upon millions of people since Joe Biden became president that have come across uh, or the terrorists that have come across. You've got over 300 of them on the terrorist watch list that we have caught. Those are just the ones we've caught. And, you know, we don't know how many we haven't caught because it's estimated about 1.7, 1.8 million of those coming across the border are what are called gotaways. We don't know. Uh, we know they were there. Somehow they, they tripped a sensor somewhere. We got them on video, but we couldn't actually catch them. And so that's very, very concerning. Um, <clears throat> but that's the number one issue, Martha, is border. And we should have been fighting on 
our uh, about our border. You so know, what's the, what is happening now? Right. Because I here's what I think you've got. We've got to get back to what you talked about, which is passing the appropriations bills on time, because that's the way to do the process. Because, you know, you you went to Congress, you took an oath, you agreed, you know, you agree to the rules. You know, you guys vote on the rules. You lost this vote. OK, but you've you got to live to fight another day. Right. So what's happening now? Well, what's supposed to happen and the reason we now have another month and a half is that we're supposed to be working on appropriation bills and finishing our appropriation bills. You know, the... What they call last the four year, corners. right? We're still talking about right. last year, or the year we're in, well, actually, the well, year we're, we're in. We're talking about the year we're in, 2024, right. that's correct. You know, <clears throat> there was a new agreement on a top-line number by the Four Corners, and they call the Four Corners by the by the Senate Majority Leader, the Senate Minority Leader, the, the Speaker of the House, and the, and the House Minority Leader, those four individuals right there. Uh, you know, they agreed upon a new number of spending, a higher number, $69 billion above the um, Financial Responsibility Act, and actually, Martha, $82 billion above what we had actually been able to do in the appropriations process, which was cut spending. We had cut $13 billion out of the appropriations. We were down to, to $691 billion, and now we're going up to $773 billion. And so what's happening is they're taking that additional money and reapportioning it across the seven appropriations, or excuse me, the 12 appropriations total, um, including the seven that we've already passed, which I completely disagree with. We don't need to be spending more money when we are $34 trillion in debt and going higher and higher, literally every solitary minute we are borrowing money and that we are on the course for financial collapse um, <clears throat> when we are spending we will be spending almost a trillion dollars in interest, almost a trillion dollars. Right. That is a stunning figure. So does we, it we can't do that. So does it concern you that, OK, so you got Joe Biden, who may or may not be the nominee. We don't know. But at this point in time, he's a guy that does not really talk about reducing spending. OK, uh, the former president, with all the great things that he did, he did increase the debt dramatically, and he really doesn't talk about fiscal responsibility as one of the issues he talks about. Um, Nikki Haley, who does talk about it, she was an accountant by training and and uh, was a governor of a state where you had to, to balance the budget. So does it concern you that even among the new leadership we're considering, whoever ends up being president of the United States, that they don't really talk about this issue, that it it really it, nobody is owning this issue except for people like you, Andrew. Well, uh, well, hey, um, as you saw, we had 106 Republicans vote against this bill or right, against the continuing resolution. Our numbers are growing, Martha. There's some hope in that right there. Good. You know, people, the 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 lights coming on in some people's you know, eyes, and they're seeing that this is not the way that we should be moving forward. Uh, it's going to, you know, it's, it's going to lead to financial instability and financial collapse at some point in the future if we don't get this under control. And we have seen this time and time again. Congress loves to spend more money. I don't. I want to cut our budget. I want to cut the amount of money that we're spending um, because that's what, you know, we in Georgia have a a balanced budget amendment. We have to spend within our means. We should have that exact same you, thing in Congress. Do you think, because I know you, you support 
President Trump as the, to be the nominee for the for the party. Um, is he listening to people like you? Because he's not doesn't talk about fiscal responsibility much. Do you think he's listening? Um, I think he will listen to us. Absolutely. Uh, I'm, I'm a, you know, President Trump's a businessman, just like I'm a businessman. He doesn't spend more than he than his revenue that he brings in. He understands that principle, I think, as as well as anyone does. So now, you know, granted, yes, you're right about the increase in the debt, but you, you had COVID during the President Trump's uh, sure. Um, no, and and time. look, and, and, you know, I, that, that's I've, an anomaly. I've always, that, look, I've always said about him that. You know, he's a real estate guy, so he loves leverage. Okay, he's not afraid of leverage. I mean, you look at his business career, he's not afraid of leverage. So it's one of, and again, I don't want this to be about him. What I want to see is hope that things are going to change. That's what I want to see. Well, I I firmly believe, you know, I'm I'm, I'm a, a, um, I I believe in in good things in the future, Um, you know, a positive outlook. I firmly believe that we as Republicans, We'll get to that point that we'll finally saying enough is enough. You know, we need to be fighting on the border issue. Uh, that is the one issue that yes, truly I agree, 100%. completely. And we need to be using our, you know, funding of our government to leverage that. Um, and, so and, what are and your, what are your goals be. for this week in the Congress? Well, um, <clears throat> honestly, we need to continue. We have not seen where the... This new higher number is apportioned out amongst the appropriation bills yet. And once we get that, we'll be able to to see what else we can cut. Honestly, I don't I don't want to spend seven hundred seventy three billion dollars on non defense discretionary money, which is you know every other uh, three letter agency in the federal government. Except and we've got to figure we've got to figure out how to get that mandatory spending on the table where you can at least have a discussion about it without somebody saying you're trying to throw grandma off the cliff. What I'm trying to do is save grandma, you know? Right. Absolutely. I'm a hundred percent with you on that. You know, we, we need to save grandma. We need to save social security. We need to save Medicare. Uh, I mean, that's, you know, was a promise to the American people that we must keep. All right. But you know, there was this talk of a, of a mandatory spending commission, um, I think that's a good idea. You know, it's a very political issue across the board. Um, but I think that we should have, um, you know, a bipartisan commission to look at it and make some recommendations. I, a little absolutely. bit like the BRAC commission. Andrew Clyde, I appreciate you always being available. And I know we go back and forth a bit, but I think we're all ending up for the best of this country. Thank you so much. Thank you, Martha. Always great to be with you. It's local radio, and that's why you're listening. It's the Martha Zoller Show on AM 550 and FM 102.9 WDUN. Steve Moore's here with me right now. And Steve, the one thing that surprised me about the DeSantis thing is that he didn't even wait a second to say he was supporting Trump when they've been saying some pretty nasty things about each other for the last couple of weeks. <laughs> Well, I'm not the good to be with you. That is politics, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it is. Listen, uh, a couple of things about Ron DeSantis. I mean, Ron DeSantis is America's governor. He's been a spectacular governor for Florida. Amazing what he's done on taxes, on school choice, on, you know, uh, fighting against ESG and crazy liberal policies. So, you know, he I, I think he is very likely to be one of the front runners in 2028. Remember, when Trump is elected, he can only serve for one term because he's already served a term. So, uh, you know, I have nothing but respect and um, 
and uh, really gratitude for the job that uh, that um, Ron DeSantis but has he done. Did, he could do I for, mean, he did have a little difficulty connecting that message. He did. And I think, he did. But you know what? I mean, you're exactly right. He, he ran a terrible presidential campaign, and he was not a good presidential candidate. But, you know, I was thinking about this this morning, you know, it, you know, just I was thinking, you know, if you look at some of our most successful pre- presidents, including Ronald Reagan, many of them had to run once or twice before they got it right. And oh, no, so doubt, no I, doubt about yeah. it. But but even Ronald Reagan was gaining momentum all through 76. He just That's didn't true. have enough momentum to unseat Gerald Ford. That's true. And, <laughs> That's and true. the and, thing about DeSantis know, and, and what I think yeah. he needs to do in whatever postmortem he does is that he needs to say, okay, I'm one of the few people that started out high and lost ground through the entire campaign, no matter how much money I spent. And so he's got to be honest about that. And I think one of the things is he's kind of hard to get to. He's not one of those people uh, that's that's easy to relate to. And I think he'd be great. I mean, policy-wise, no doubt about it. I mean, Florida does a fantastic job. And, um, you know, the way he'll be a 28 contender, though, is if he's the VP. And it'll be interesting to see who plays that out. Yeah, no, I agree with everything you just said. You know, he needs a little bit of a, he needs to go to charm school, <laughs> you know, because because he's had a great, you know, I'm just talking about what he's done. You sure, know, of course. Record, and if he could do for America what he's done for Florida, that would be a great thing. Uh, look, Donald Trump is going to be the nominee. It's probably, you know, 90% chance right now. We'll see how Nikki Haley does in in, um, in New Hampshire. She might, she might sneak off a win there, but I guarantee you she's not going to win, um, in South Carolina. And that's coming up in a few weeks sure. as well. And that's her home state. If she loses South Carolina, it's basically over. Uh, look, Trump has made an amazing comeback. Um, and a lot of people kind of scoffed when he said he was going to run again, but it's, he still has a grip on the party because people, you know, like the, you know, well, he's we definitely redefined. He's definitely redefined conservatism. <laughs> that is for yes, sure. He has, and in a good way and a bad way, you know. And and I would say this though that you know, if it comes down to you know, and, and I I think it's a lot less likely that Biden is going to be the nominee for the Democrats than that Trump is. I agree with you there. But if it is a you know rematch, I I do like Trump's um, chances. I mean, it's just compare you know his term and in office versus Biden's. Biden's has been a disaster in almost every area, whether it's the border, whether it's crime, whether it's the economy, whether it's inflation, whether it's the national debt, you know, need I go on. So, you know, we'll, we'll see how this all affairs, but I want to say this too. I think Trump has been, you know, the the good Trump lately, he's really been talking about issues. He's, he stopped with the name calling. He was magnanimous uh, after uh, winning in Iowa and so uh, if he could stay like that, I think his chances greatly improve. So uh, my biggest concern, as you know, with the former president is he really never talks about fiscal responsibility. He never really talks about that. Now, he's starting to a little bit. Now, I'm sure that has something to do with you because I know you're helping <laughs> in that area. But that is my biggest concern is that um, we're really seeing a fiscal cliff here. And he is pandering into the you can't even bring up Social Security without without, you know, without being called someone that wants to kill grandma. You know, and I just don't I we've got to bring everything up, Steve. And if we don't create an environment where we can actually look at the budget and get things done, we're never going to get out of this. Yeah, well, I think that's right. And, you know, we look, America needs a, needs a, a, 
a change. We need to have, um, uh, this is such a great country. There's no reason we can't, um, oh, we'll we can't have it. high growth. Yeah. yeah, it is. And, you know, Biden just doesn't put America first. You know, that's the problem. Yep. Yep. You're <laughs> right. The, you're right. And I think any, you know, well, I, I, you're a little more um, aggressive than I am. I don't think it's a 90% chance. I think it's a 98% chance. I think there's about a two, <laughs> okay. I think there's about a 2% chance. And I'm a Nikki, Nikki Haley fan. I, I, I yeah. believe everything she says as far as why we need to go with someone younger. I believe we need an accountant in the White House. Okay. So I, I admit my bias. All right. Unlike yeah. some people, I admit yeah. my bias. But yeah. I also believe that's what primaries are for. Primaries are for sure. you fighting for the people you believe in. And then in the you have to sometimes make compromises in the general. Uh, that, that's right. And look, you know, Trump won in 2016, in my opinion, because a lot of especially suburban women uh, who didn't really like Trump, but they didn't like Hillary much either, you know, kind of held their nose and voted for Trump. Uh, in 2020, a lot of them, did, you know, didn't vote for Trump. And so if he can win back those suburban women, I think he can, you know, he can he can win. You know, it's basically five states, as you know. I've said this many times on your show. It's Georgia. It's Michigan. It's Pennsylvania. It's Arizona. Wisconsin. Th- those states are the ones that matter. And, you know, Georgia's going to be pivotal. I really believe, I'm going to say it again, I think whoever wins Georgia will be the next president. No, I think you're absolutely right, because we're not a swing state in the true sense of the word, um, but we are a state that represents the broad diversity of population yep. in our country. Yep. And yep. if you can win Georgia, you are pretty representative yep. of who can win in America. So, uh, you know, I know we're running out of time. I'm going to ask you a question, if I okay. may. So sure. why, you know, because Trump, you know, tr- Trump won virtually every southern state soundly, you know, soundly, resoundingly, except for Georgia, which he lost. And I wonder what's different about Georgia than South Carolina or Florida or North Carolina or Alabama. You know, why Why is it that Georgia, you know, doesn't fit that pattern now? A much bigger city in Atlanta with a much right. bigger suburban female, ex-urban right. female population. That's right. that's it in a nutshell. Atlanta is, even though Georgia is a southern state, Atlanta is so different than any right. of the big cities in any other by a magnitude of five or six times. I mean, it, Atlanta yeah. is more like a D.C. or New York or Chicago, you know, right, as, right. for good or for ill. You know, it is. Now, it still has the right. southern charm, as you know. But um, <laughs> but it has a lot of people right. moving here uh, from and all they, over. Sometimes they bring their blue state ways with them, right? And I tell you what, our governor, Governor Kemp, who I believe is America's governor, uh, is the, governor. Is the governor. guy... Yep that has made it his one mission for this year politically yeah. to show that Georgia is not a purple state. He is going yes. to do everything he can to show the kinds of majorities that he and Brad Raffensperger and the lieutenant governor got in the last election to show we are not a purple state. Good. Well, yeah. I know with you and Joe McCutcheon, we've got a great <laughs> chance. <so. laughs> well, I know. He says you and Larry Kudlow are going to be running the economy for Trump. But I'm sure whoever the Republican president is, you will help them. There you go. I mean, That's you right. know, it's, there's a, the economy needs a lot of help. I mean, $34 trillion national debt headed to $50 trillion, a border is out of control. And I mean, you know, bef- the, before I let you go, the, the, this yeah. budget deal last week, um, 
that they put forward and and now we're they have done seven appropriations bills i talked to andrew clyde this morning he was one of the no votes he's he's he said you know we're just going to keep plugging along and try to get all these appropriations bills from the year we're in past yeah um you know your thoughts on that before we go um you know it's, it's fine it's it, look the budget's completely out of control it's a mess it's a disaster republicans did the best they could in the house given the fact that the democrats control the united states senate with chucky e. schumer running the show there and, and biden running the white house so it's a mess i'm not going to sugarcoat this the budget is a mess we're borrowing nearly two trillion dollars a year it's a catastrophe and it's going to take a new president to fix this i hate this idea of a fiscal commission because i think the democrats are just going to you know what they're going to use that for they're going to use that to raise taxes and we don't need a tax increase we need to get control of government spending no i think you're right and how do we look on the senate uh, for this year the senate the republicans are going to win okay I good think, you know unless unless uh, I, I think it's much i think well remember we're starting at 50 50 because joe manchin's gone so that's the pickup for the republicans it's right. automatic so you're starting at parity, and I think Republicans are going to pick up, you know, two or three seats in the Senate, uh, you know, unless uh, unless Trump implodes. Uh, I'm more worried about the House because the Democrats across the country are redistricting in ways that, uh, you know, they're drawing, redrawing the lines in ways that will probably help them pick up five seats. So that means Republicans are going to have to find five new seats to win to hold the majority. Well, it'll be very important that we have a strong ticket at the top and, uh, and that people will, <laughs> you know, will vote all the way down. And, you know, I firmly believe that our ideas are better for the American people and we need to keep fighting that way. And you know what? You and I need to talk about this another time, but we need to work yeah. on reeducating our kids on capitalism because those yeah. those 15 to 35 year olds are being taught yeah. that it's bad. And we've yeah. got to work on that. Well, on the way out, I'll just say this. People should read the speech by Malay, the new uh, you know, uh, uh, president of Argentina, who did a sterling um, defense of free market capitalism at the Davos you know, you know, Economic World Forum. And I think people there were stunned by what he had to say, but it was all true. It sounded like Milton Friedman. So people should go back. and It was reprinted in the Wall Street Journal. A brilliant, brilliant. And he said, look, the problem in the world today, the reason there's so much poverty is because of socialism. Putting the talk in news talk. It's the Martha Zoller Show on AM 550 and FM 102.9 WDUN. Right now, we're going to talk to Bill Crane from Crane's Corner, and we're going to be talking with him. We'll talk a little national politics, but I want to start out with the state politics because I was at the Faith and Freedom uh, legislative luncheon yesterday, Bill, and it's one of my favorite events because I always leave there feeling good about the state of America, you know what I mean, and the state of the state because the messages are uplifting. All the constitutional officers come and give their their pitch. There's a lot of legislators there, so you can grab people and find out what they think about things. And it's kind of interesting. I thought this might be the year for uh, sports betting, but it's and I know it's a long time for the session. It could pop up anywhere. But it seems to me what people are talking about most is school choice, CON, and Medicaid expansion. And that's a tall order to throw gambling in there, too. The state could use the revenue. We're probably going to have a soft landing in the U.S. economy in the second and third quarters this year. 
And Georgia's part of that. I will be more resilient, but it will impact our economy. And from the true up of the Medicaid rolls that occurred this year and people coming off of one-time aid and aid-related or funded health care by the pandemic assistance of the American Rescue Plan, we've got a new number, if you will, of people that are underinsured or uninsured, and the uptake has not been what the governor's office would have hoped on the, the state's own marketplace for insurance coverage. So there's a lot of push, particularly in the private sector, to do away with the certificate of need process, which allocates services and beds per hospital in each market. That's been a major player in that industry in other states, but in Georgia for decades. So if there's a pairing of those two, I agree with you, along with the, the largest budget and people fighting over those resources, getting to paramutual or sports betting is a stretch. I still think the best shot, and it's not bad to put on the ballot in an election year, is a constitutional amendment if we can expand beyond the lottery to other forms of gaming and let the voters decide this and then come back and do the framing legislation as opposed to the other way around. Yeah, and I think there's some confusion about, to your point about the framing legislation, about what the best way to approach this is. I mean, I think the, um, you know, the legislature would much rather have it be something people voted on than they voted on. (laughs) So, you know, we'll see what happens with that. Well, it requires a two-thirds majority for a resolution, and it goes to the governor's office, then it becomes a constitutional amendment, and the verbiage of the question comes later. But I think they can have a pretty open-ended constitutional questions such as do you support the expansion of game lottery you know other types of gambling than lottery in the state of georgia yes no and people will answer that and then the legislature could then do some polling and see guidance okay what first sports betting probably the most lucrative then casino gambling do we want to do we want to have that type of gaming in georgia paramutual do we and you know, kind of take them one at a time. I, I think they mince around with it, and they never let it actually get to the floor. And so it becomes kind of a side pocket issue that usually gets killed well before signing die. Yeah, I think you're right about that. And and there was a lot of talk, obviously, yesterday about the school choice bill. And, you know, the big challenge, and I, there was some recent polling of 14 districts that are Republican districts that uh, voted against it. Uh, last time and and some of the concerns that they had and it's it's all about you know language and what it actually means right where where I think that what people are saying is that they are concerned many Republican districts especially in South Georgia are concerned and Northwest Georgia they're concerned that a school choice bill is going to hurt their public schools and what the, I- go go ahead And I understand that concern. I've got a daughter who's a public school teacher and my ex-wife are public school teachers, and there's a belief in that kind of flight to quality that a lot of students would suddenly up and out to a public school, to a private school, perhaps not even in the same jurisdiction. But I got the solution for them. Try the school choice question. And either constitutional referendum or do, again, the enabling legislation to funding it with new revenue from new sources of gaming. They fund pre-K, and they're about to give pre-K teachers a raise. And they fund most of our education, all of its tuition, through the lottery. So instead of making local school systems and the states worry about loss of funding and revenue, only allow vouchers up to the amount of new revenue generated by new gaming. I mean, it's it's not hard to find a path to solution if you're looking for it. Right. Well, are people open to that? 
I think if you let the people decide if they want gaming, and then if one of the one of the things we fund with the new revenue for gaming would be school choice vouchers, then you get pretty much a distinct yes no. So it'll be interesting to follow. That's for sure. Um, so on the on the final thing, which is CON, um, which you know. <laughs> You know, my, I guess I live in an area where Northeast Georgia Health Systems is so powerful and and so is the, you know, that they are really, they and the other hospital systems will stay, continue to stand against this. And even though um, you hear people like Speaker Burns saying he's open to it, I just think when it comes right down to it, uh, unless they trade it for Medicaid expansion or something like that, I don't think it's going to happen. I agree with you, but I do think the horse trade is okay. So here's two scenarios just more for the listeners of what impacts a certificate of need situation can have. So some of the highest quality cancer care in the state of Georgia with the best outcomes for patients comes out of the, well, boy, they renamed it again, the Cancer Centers from America that are in Newton, Georgia. When they set up shop without a CON, they were required by the state of Georgia to basically import, bring in 65% of their patient base and be able to demonstrate that to receive their services, most of which, of course, were insured. But to demonstrate their patients didn't draw off the patient base of other area hospitals and smaller community hospitals. And for a decade, they did that. They survived that because that's rather expensive to transport your patients, to fly them in, then drive them, et cetera, particularly when they're coming in for long periods of time or recovering from chemotherapy, but they did that. And that that cancer center, again, renamed, is still there. You also have a situation now where the Atlanta Medical Center was owned by Wellstar with a CON of 600 beds with a facility in Atlanta, another down East Point, which they have walked away from, and the four big players in midtown Atlanta want to divvy up those beds, Grady, Piedmont, Emory Crawford Long, without building those beds to basically protect another player from entering into that market or for the Atlanta Medical Center to be open. So it is rather monopolistic. It does make the big players bigger. And for smaller community hospitals that are literally starving and really only surviving, and I'm not talking about North Georgia Regional, that's one of the best hospitals in the state, they are overly dependent on Medicare and Medicaid patients just to keep doors open. Well, we'll see how this all plays out. Now, I just want to get your quick analysis of what happened last night in New Hampshire. Now, and just let me just preface this by I like primaries. I think people have a right to have a choice in more than two states in America. And I, I, I am supporting Nikki Haley. I don't mind saying that. But I don't think she should get out just because, I mean, Bill Clinton didn't get out when he finished second in New Hampshire and he ended up winning the nomination. So, what are your thoughts about last night? Donald Trump had a strong win. Nikki Haley gave the better speech. Wasn't a surprise there. I think she's certainly hanging in for South Carolina and possibly for Super Tuesday. I think net-net GOP and independent voters who voted in GOP primaries were looking right now at about 250,000 Americans. There are 330 million of us. And one thing that doesn't get a lot of discussion, particularly on outlets that are very favorably disposed to President Trump, a conviction on any one of those 91 felony charges in all the polling I've seen makes a substantial difference in would you vote for a candidate for president or would you vote for Donald Trump if he had a felony conviction? 
And that's a very real possibility that's going to stay in place throughout the GOP nominating contest. He may not go to trial in most of these cases till a year from now, and he may be able to pardon himself if he's reelected on the or federal Or he may charges. not be but able, that, since he will, if he wins and he's president, he may not be able to be tried till he gets out of office. Correct. So there are all of those what-ifs that are very unusual to this process, but almost never since 1976 have we had a nominee in either party win Iowa and New Hampshire with a decisive majority. But also remember, as of last night, it was down to a field of two. And the, on the Democratic side four years ago, it was still 12. And on the Republican side in 2016, it was 14. I do take Nikki Haley's point well. She went from 2% in the early polls last night to 44. She is 11% behind him in New Hampshire. If she gets clobbered in South Carolina, which the polling data would indicate she is or will, but the polling data was indicating she was going to be getting beaten much worse in New Hampshire. The last polls I saw put it at 12, 15, 30, 20 points spread, and she's closing that gap. So I think there are enough independents as well as non-party-aligned voters in many of those states through Super Tuesday who do want another choice besides Joe Biden and Donald Trump, then it's worth playing that out. You know, Donald Trump's got the resources, he's got the support base. That isn't going to change. If she can financially stay in, John McCain stayed in long after his money ran out. Stay in. Bill Crane, thanks for being with us today. It's always great to talk to you. Take care. It's where North Georgia comes to talk. It's the Martha Zoller Show on AM 550 and FM 102.9 WDUN. It's the Martha Zoller Show. Lisa Wexler's here with me today. And as you know, Lisa is in Connecticut, which is right next door to New Hampshire. And so we're going to talk a little bit about this New Hampshire primary that had a big turnout, about 100,000 more than it normally does. And we're going to talk about that. Lisa, how are you? I'm good. You know, it's interesting about the immigration because I've had this whole colloquy with somebody else about immigration just this morning. And I do think, we can get to New Hampshire in a sec, but I do think... Uh, if you look at a lot of the stats, uh, Biden can claim that he actually deported a higher percentage of the illegal immigrants under his administration than even Trump did. But by actual numbers, there are more people coming in under the Biden administration. He doesn't take responsibility, doesn't blame that on himself. He says it's because conditions in those countries are poorer. But you know that case with five to four, Martha, it struck me that he might have won the battle but lost the war because we all know that know these things, I was shocked it was five to four. Federal preemption on immigration matters is a no-brainer. It's, it's a no-brainer. Right. And uh, it should have been nine zero, okay, because the issue of who is supposed to control our national borders is really exclusively, exclusively right. a federal issue. Absolutely. Right? Okay. I agree with but that. So, right, right. So, okay, so Supreme Court said that, which we already knew. And then it then... He wins, right? So he wins the battle. It's his Justice Department winning. Okay, yes, the feds are in charge. But the perception is, by the feds being in charge, that they're not doing a good job. So if you're a politician, you're winning the battle, but you're losing the war. Do you know what I'm trying to say? I like, do. People and, are like, well, thanks a lot. Great. And look, so now I've, we have to cut the wires and they have to come in. Well, yeah. and over the years, I've spent a lot of time on the southern border. I I was lucky enough to be able to spend some time at Fort Bliss, which is right there on the border. I mean, they deal with this all the time. And they actually, 
um, they actually use people in that part of the border on that military base. They use mostly Department of the Army on horseback. They don't use actually military. Wow. Okay, but wow. they because it's so rough. You know what I mean? It's not an area yeah. that is easily crossed by anybody. But they use Department of the Army because of Posse Comitatus. You can't have troops on the borders, but you can use Department of the Army personnel and and try to help people get through. And in, in those, when I was there in 05, obviously it was just the random few people that were coming across that were that needed water or maybe medical attention. So it was a, it was a very small number of people coming across. Um, but in the visits I've done since then, one of the challenges, and this is the thing I did not understand, and this really just shows that the, that that they're not communicating. Texas is not communicating with the feds, and the feds are not communicating with Texas. Because, for example, the, the buoys that they put in the Rio Grande, which is one of the things, this isn't what was in this case, but it was previously, actually saved a lot of lives. Because it kept people from crossing at that river, which is very dangerous. It is very very dangerous. dangerous. And what it was doing was getting people to not cross at the river and go to the checkpoints. Okay? So, in that case, what Texas was doing was actually, from a humanitarian standpoint, the right thing to do. Um I just think there's it's it, everybody wants it as an issue, Lisa, instead of actually solving it. Because well, the news came out this morning that Mitch McConnell is getting pressure from Trump not to agree to anything that would include Ukraine, aid to Israel, right. and some border money because he wants to make it look bad for Biden. And I'm I, I have to say, what does Trump have on Mitch McConnell? That after all these years, Mitch McConnell is still kowtowing to Donald Trump. Well, and it what isn't just, on him, Martha? It isn't just Mitch McConnell. I mean, first of all, Donald Trump, whether, and a lot of my people in my audience love Donald Trump, but he is not the nominee yet. Okay? He is not the person, and he should not be dictating policy at this point in time, period. But, um, but New Hampshire was interesting because... About a hundred thousand more people turned out. It was it was I think prior to this, twenty sixteen was the highest turnout. This year was mm-hmm. the highest turnout. Um, and then there's you know I, I but it is still just the first primary. You had a caucus and a primary. About four hundred thousand people have voted total. It's it's not over yet. Well, it's only over if Nikki Haley bends to enormous political pressure right now. Andy Sabin came out this morning. He's a major Republican donor. People are coming out that she should resign, she should withdraw, whatever it is. She should capitulate. And I hope she doesn't because I hope more people get a chance to weigh in. But that's me. I like democracy. Me too. I think it's pathetic and sad that so many people get winnowed out. I think it was pathetic and sad that Ron DeSantis just left after Iowa, packed his bags in front of a non-secret vote of a demographic that does not represent America. I was shocked. But, hey. Uh, I think that what New Hampshire shows, if you look at the data, and I've been looking at historical uh, comparisons, I've been looking at the historical comparison, Gerald Ford and George H.W. Bush, each of whom did not win when they were their nominee, and they, in those cases, happened to be the Republican nominee. One of the cracks that you could see in retrospect 2020 hindsight was that they did not get the biggest share of the people that were voting in the primary. And, of course, the unique thing about New Hampshire, and this is so important, is that so many of the rest of the primaries, 
will only be Republicans that get to vote. So the parties that be will not get a sense of what will happen in November. The reason that New Hampshire was always useful, and it was very useful this time, is because this is when the unaffiliates in New Hampshire, the unaffiliates in America, get a chance to say yay or nay on the presumed party candidate. And the fact that, look, she got nine delegates, Martha. She didn't get nothing. He got 12. She got nine delegates. That's not insignificant. Well, I mean, and you that can go, that, you know, you can go yeah. even to 1992 on the Democratic primary that, you know, Bill Clinton came in fourth or fifth in Iowa. Then he came in second in New Hampshire, claimed a victory, went on to win the nomination. You know, so I just don't think it's over yet. I think that that she's got enough money to stay in at least through Super Tuesday. I do support Nikki Haley. I think that she's strong. And I had a question from a listener that if if Trump's the nominee, will I be as full-throated in my support, you know, of of him that I am of Haley? But I'm just saying we're not there yet. We've got to get through mm. this primary. And I I think that Nikki Haley has shown her toughness. She has got everybody working against her. She's gone from 2% to 42%, 44%. And, um, you know, I think she has earned the right to go forward. And, she's and let's face it. I mean, and you have to say to yourself, what votes is Donald Trump going to get from continuing to speak about her dress and speak about her as a loser and all of that stuff that he always does. He went right into hate mode. He has to try and get people that haven't voted for him to vote for him. Who is he attracting? Why don't the Republicans, Ronna McDaniel and the rest, see that? I don't understand that. Yeah. How is, is he going to attract more of the centrist base with this kind of rhetoric? And he can't help himself. This is who he is. That's who, who he is. That's who he is. Yeah. Lisa Wexler, thank you so much for being with me today. It's always great to talk to you. Okay, bye. Thank you. Um, you know, it's so true. That's who he is. And I, Paul asked me this question where he said, um, I'm very interested if once decided, you, will you support Trump in the same enthusiasm that you'll support Haley? Well, I've already said I'll support the Republican nominee. But I say with a caveat, I'm interested to see who this this third party ticket's going to be from no labels. I just kind of want to see who they end up with. But I will say, let me ask you this question, Paul. Donald Trump is the only one of these people that have said they won't support the Republican nominee. So basically what Donald Trump is saying that I should win. And if I don't win, I won't support somebody else who won. So all I'm saying to you, Paul, is you need to ask from Donald Trump. The same thing you're asking from me, you're asking from Nikki Haley, you're asking from anybody else that's gotten into this race. Okay? Donald Trump is only getting on the ballot easily because he has declared as a Republican. He could have done it if he declared as a Democrat also. But if he is going to use the rules of the party to be able to be on the ballot in 50 states and territories and wherever they are in these primaries... And in the general, if he becomes the nominee, then are you going to demand from him that he follow the same rules that you want me, Nikki Haley, and others to follow? That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. And we're going to keep talking about it. To hear the full versions of last week's Martha Zoller shows, go to the podcast page at accesswdun.com. And you can follow me on social media at Martha Zoller. 